0: Who knows what Doordash is? Okay, okay, cool. Um, so Doordash basically, you you drive around and you pick up food for people, and then when they when they order it, and then you drive to their house and you you drop their food off and you leave it there. And so that's what I was doing. I was doing uh, tree removal, but then I was doing Doordash on the side. And so I would drive around, I would pick up people's food, and I would I would bring it uh, back to them. And there was one day I had some really interesting experiences doing that. By the way, it was there were some interesting people that I dropped off food for. But there was one day in particular that I remember. I had picked up an order from McDonald's, and I was driving back, uh, or I was driving. To the place where I needed to, um, I needed to drop the food off. And so, as I'm driving back, I looked at the address and I saw, you know, it was like four six seven um, Carter Avenue or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but let's just say an example: four six seven Carter Avenue. And so, I'm looking at my phone and I'm driving down the road. And I get to Carter Avenue. I'm like, okay, great. I turn onto the road and I start driving down the road. And I see four six five, or I see four six one and four six three and four six five. And then the road like turns around and starts going back the other way. And I'm like, what in the world? Like there's no 467. So I go back to the the beginning of the street and I get to Carter Avenue. I'm like, okay, this is Carter Avenue. And I drive down again, 461, 463, 465. There's no 467. And I'm asking myself, I'm like, well, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, they gave me the wrong address. I don't know what to do. And so what I ended up doing, I ended up opening my door and just throwing the food um, on the side of the road. I don't know if that's what I was supposed to do, but I just I just left it there. I didn't know what to do. And I found myself asking, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what, what? I'm working. This is my job. What am I supposed to do? And have you ever been there before? Like, somebody's given you a task to do, but they didn't tell you how to do it, or you didn't know how to do your job, or you didn't even know what your job was. And a lot of times in our life, we find ourselves asking, what's my job? Like, what am I supposed to do? Well, in Ephesians, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 3, Paul talks about the gospel, and he talks about how the gospel is available not just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And that's a blessing because most of us in here are Gentiles. And if it wasn't for that fact, that none of us would be saved. And so I'm thankful for the fact that Jesus came not just for the Jewish people, not just for a specific group of people, but Jesus came for everybody. And so in, in Ephesians chapter 3, that's what the, the fact that Paul's trying to drive home is that the gospel is for the Gentiles as well. And then we get to chapter number 4, and verse number 1 says this. Look with me in verse number 1. It says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He says, I therefore, so because of the fact that the gospel is for the Gentiles, because of the fact that you're saved, because of the fact that Jesus died for you, I therefore, because of that, I therefore call you, I beseech you, I beg you to walk worthy of the vocation, the job wherewith you are called. We have this pleasure as a church to be called Christians, little Christs. And we have this vocation. It's our lively. It should be our life, right? Jesus didn't come just so that we could go to church just on Sunday. He came so that, that we could have a relationship with him all throughout the week, right? And so that's our vocation. It's our life. It's, our, it's really our livelihood. When we get to heaven, we'll get the payment for it, right? So we're walking. We're walking through this life as a Christian, but many times we find ourselves asking ourselves, "What's my job? What, what am I supposed to do?" And if we just read this verse, okay, I therefore bese- therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. But how do I walk worthy of the fact that Jesus died for me? Like how? How am I supposed to walk worthy of that vocation? And if we stop there, if we stop reading, we can find ourselves just trying to figure it out. But the good thing is, is God doesn't leave us wondering. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop it just say, hey, walk worthy of vocation. Now you figure it out. No, he keeps going. We'll keep going in chapter number four. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god the father one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all so when you find yourself asking what's my job the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us what our job is. And today, I want to look at three aspects of our job as Christian. First of all, in verse number 2, Paul tells us what our job is. He, sh- he straight up lays it out, right? He says in verse number two, look with me. It says, with all lowliness and meekness with long suffer and with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Paul says, hey, look, do you want to know what to do as a Christian? Do you want to know what you're supposed to do as a Christian? Do you want to know what your job is as a Christian? Your job is to love people. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to love other people. And a lot of times we forget this. With everything else going on in our life and with all the other things that we have going on, we forget about the fact that Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love God and love others. And Jesus made the Christian life so simple. And then we go around and we complicate it. We complicate it. But then Paul describes this love. He doesn't just say love people. He describes exactly what this love looks like. He says, with all lowliness, we see that this love is humble. See, when when, when you're humble, when you love with humility, your life isn't just about yourself. Your your life isn't just about what you want. Your life isn't about your preferences. The, The lowly heart, the person who's lowly, the person who's humble, there is no place too low for him to serve. There's no place too low for him to serve other people. And there's a lot of people, listen, in our churches that they want the platform, but they don't want the nursery. There's a lot of people, they want the microphone, but they, 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 they don't want to go soul winning on Tuesday. And the problem with that is that Jesus says that our job is to love people. Our job isn't to make ourselves famous. It's to make Jesus famous. He says, with all lowliness, we're supposed to be humble. The Bible, and and Jesus lives this out. He's the perfect example of this. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." You see, Jesus, God for eternity past, came down to this earth, became not a king. He didn't become a soldier. He became a servant. But we think we're too good to serve. We, we too think we're, we're too good to love people with a humble spirit. Here, here's, here's a question that I often I try to ask myself. And it's a question that will tell you if you're, lo- if you're loving with a humble spirit. It will tell you if you're loving with a humble spirit. Here's the question. When you come to church, do you come to be served or to serve? Like when you walk in that door, do you want, do you expect people to greet you with a smiling face? When you come in the door, do do you expect people to come to you and say, hi, how are you doing? Well, when you come to church, do you expect us to sing the songs that that you want to hear sung? Do you expect Pastor Yoder to preach this message, the message that that you want to preach? When you come to church, is, is church all about you? Or are you looking around trying to find the visitors at church? Are you the one looking around trying to figure out if somebody needs help getting to the nursery? Are you the one that's helping people? And that will show you, if you come to church and church is all about you, that's not what Jesus meant it to be because Jesus is in heaven and he's saying to you right now, He's saying, hey, look, I didn't save you to, to be served by the church. I saved you to serve the church. Loving is humble. He, he, tells, he tells us to love with a humble spirit. When Paul speaks of this every time he speaks of love. He always speaks of serving others, of, of, of putting yourself down. He says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not himself and is not puffed up. That's love. Love is humble. So let me ask you, are you serving with a humble heart? Are you loving with a humble heart? One of my friends sent me something on Instagram this week, and it was a challenge. And the challenge was really, really convicting for me. And the challenge was this. It said that for the next week, every time you talk to someone new, ask more questions than you answer. Like, be more, be more consumed with who they are than, than who you are. That's love. Love is humble. We see that, that Paul says that love is humble, but second, we see that love is gentle. He says, with all, uh, with, with all lowliness and meekness this means that you have your emotions under control you're gentle with people you're not lashing out at people when you're wronged your first reaction isn't to to go and get vengeance with someone when when somebody doesn't say the right thing to you when someone doesn't compliment your hair the way that you want them to when someone doesn't doesn't say the right things you're not immediately on their back and and seeking out vengeance it's gentle with people when you need to correct someone it's it's done with a gentle spirit Somebody once said that that meekness is swatting a fly off your friend's head with a fly swatter, not a hammer. Right? And a lot of times we do that as Christians. Like when somebody does something wrong, when somebody says something that that probably wasn't the right thing, we're on their back and we just beat them down and make them feel terrible. But what Jesus tells us to do is go to them with a spirit of meekness. Gentleness. So that's another question. Are you, are you loving with, with a gentle spirit? Or does, every time somebody does something to you, are you lashing out at vengeance to them? It's interesting, uh, meekness is also described as having power but not needing to show it off. In, in the Greek culture, they would use this word for meekness to describe a, a gentle breeze or a horse that had been trained for, for you to be able to ride. And see, what both of those things have in common is they both can be extreme powers, right? We see storms all the time, and we see that these storms are extreme powers, right? We see a horse, and a horse can have extreme powers. It could literally kill somebody if it stepped on them, right? There's these extreme powers, but they're powers that have been tamed. They're powers that, that are under control. They're powers that are helpful to people. Look, Jesus says, just because you have power, just because you have clout, just because you have all the Instagram or the Facebook followers, just because you have all of that, doesn't mean you should use it to lash out at people. It's power under control. And then we see also that this love is patient. It's long-suffering. This goes together with meekness. This allows people to grow at the rate that Jesus wants them to grow, not the rate that you want them to grow. This is love. He, he tells us this is our job as Christians. Church, this is our job. Our job is to love. It's long-suffering, and it's interesting. These, these two words that Paul uses, meek and lowly, these, those two words that he describes to, for our job, like that's how we're supposed to love, they're the two words that Jesus uses to describe his heart in Matthew 11, 29. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. So here's what, here, from all of that, from everything I just said. If you take nothing else away, here's what this verse is saying: Love people like Jesus loves people. Like Jesus died for the people that you're you're, you're posting about on Facebook. Jesus died for the people that you are you are slandering behind their back. Jesus died for that person that you walked past for in High V, that you don't share the gospel with. He was meek and he was lowly. Love people like Jesus loved. That's our job. And so then Paul goes on in verse number three. Not only does he give us our job, but he gives us the reason for our job. In verse number three, he says this. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and in the bond of peace. Paul says, here's why you should love like Jesus loves. Here's why you should show that love to other people. To keep the unity of the church. See, unity is really, really important to God. It's very, very important to him. And so many churches are divided today. And not necessarily, I'm not necessarily talking about church splits. I'm talking about little, little tiny things that people are just at each other's throat about. It may just be one person against another person. And I guarantee there may be, even in this room tonight, some strife between you and another person. And let me tell you, God hates that. He hates it when his children are at each other's throats. And here's how I know God hates it. Paul, he writes to the church at Corinth, right? We know we have the, ver- the books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? And he writes to these people in Corinth, and Corinth was a wicked place, right? In Corinth, they, they had things that were going on that we would look at today and be like, man, I can't believe that. I mean, there was a guy having inappropriate relationships with, with his mother-in-law. There, were, there was homosexuality. There was all these immoral things. But here's what's interesting about, about the Corinthian church is Paul writes to them, and in 1 Corinthians 1.10, beginning of the book, first thing that Paul corrects them about, he says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, that by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and and that, then that there, be no divisions among you, but ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And Paul says, hey, before we get to any of the other stuff, before we get to the, the immoral stuff, before we get to all of these other important, the, these other things, and they're important, before we get to all of those things, I'm going to tell you, you guys need to be unified. First thing he says to him. And here's what's also interesting. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul, again, this is the last thing that he charges them with. So the first thing he says, be unified. The last thing he says to the church at Corinth, finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be be of one mind, live in peace. The first thing that he says to the church at Corinth, be unified. The last thing that he says to the church of Corinth, be unified. Friends, it's a big deal to God. He says, it's important to me that my children be of one accord. So I wonder, are you seeking unity? Are you loving with a patient, long-suffering, gentle, humble spirit? Because if you are, and here's how you know you are, is there someone in this room that when they walk in, you want to leave church? Is there someone in this room that that when you see them, the first thing that comes to your mind is how they wronged you? Because, friends, that's not love. And I'm not trying to say that that what someone did to you wasn't wasn't terrible. right? I'm sure there have been some terrible things that people have done to people in this room. And I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to minimize that, and I'm sorry that you were hurt. But Jesus knew that you were going to be hurt, and he put this passage in Scripture anyway. He tells us to love. He tells us to forgive. The Bible says there, Jesus said this. He said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother have aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gifts. Jesus says, don't worship if you're not right with people. Don't worship if you're not right with people. And God, church, the... Jesus also said this, he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye love one another. Our unity, our our being of one accord, our being of one mind, our love for one another is what brings people into this building. Because people see that. And they see these people that are from different backgrounds and people that uh, there's no business that that many of us should be in this room together because we're we're completely different people with completely different personalities, but the world sees that and they say, I want what they have. But if we don't have it, they won't want it. He tells us the reason is for unity. The reason that we're to love one another is for unity's sake. And I love that he says, endeavoring. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, endeavoring because it's work, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy to always be unified. This word endeavoring carries the idea of hard work and exhorting your energy. And it's in the present tense in the Greek, which means it's to be continuous. We're always to be seeking unity. Not just sometimes, not just, not just every now and then. Consistently, we should be seeking unity. And you say, how? You don't know what that person did to me. You, you don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how they changed my life. And you're right. I don't. And this is something that Jesus has given you, the, 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 the gift of being able to grow in. But how do we do it? There's a lot of ways that we can do it, a lot of practical ways, but, but one of the ways that I wanted to highlight was Prayer. David said this, he said in one, Psalm 104 3, he said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. Some of us may need to, to pray that prayer tonight. Like, God, help me not to say negative things about people, no matter how bad they were to me. Help me to love people. Put a seal on my mouth. And some of us may need to start thinking about the things that we say before we say them. I was talking to the teenagers today in Sunday school about how the Bible says that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He says that the purpose of love is to be unified. So do you pray for the church to be unified? Do you pray to God to help you love other people? And friends, unity, seeking unity, seeking this is not always easy, but I will tell you it is always worth it. I've had times in my life where I did not want to text someone and ask, like, hey, I did this, can you forgive me? And it's happened recently, and I have fought it, and I have done it, and it has always been worth it. Every time. So our job is to love with a humble and meek spirit. And the reason for it is to keep the unity of the church. But then Paul doesn't stop there. He gives us some motivation too. Look at me in verses number 4 through 6. He says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called, of, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul says, hey, here's the motivation for doing this. Like, I've given you your job, I've given you the reason for it, but here's your motivation, you're all children of God. There's one God, and you're all saved by him. You have the same Holy Spirit, you're you're the same people. So live like it. If you've accepted, here's something to think about. If you've accepted Christ, if you've accepted Christ, and you're in this room right now, what I want you to do is I want you to look around at everybody else that's in here. Just look around. Now, every person that you just looked at, you are going to spend eternity with. Forever. So you might as well get used to it now. Right? And I know, I know it's funny, like, we, we say that, but, but I'm serious. Like, we're going to live with each other for eternity. Forever. We can't comprehend eternity. That's how long it is, and that's how long you're going to be spending with these people, and you're going to be worshiping Jesus together So get used to worshiping together now. And Paul, he he says that this is our motivation. Our motivation is that we're all children of God. We have the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit lives within us. The same Holy Spirit that lives within me is the same Holy Spirit that lives within Pastor Yoder is the same Holy Spirit that lives in Brother West. Like it's the same person. And if any two people have problems with each other, if there's any two people that aren't loving each other, then one or both of them is not listening to the Holy Spirit. This is our motivation. We're all going to spend eternity together. We're all Christians. We're all of the same bloodline. We're Christians. You're siblings with every other saved person in this room. You're either a brother or a sister to them. I remember when I was when I was younger, my, my brother and I we always fought. fought. Um, we fought a ton. He's my little brother. He's uh, 17 right now. It's interesting guys. I picked on on him a lot, and now I'm foot five foot eight, and he's like six foot one. So, um, but we always picked on each other a lot. We always fought, and I was bigger than he was, and so I would pick on him. But it was never my fault, and I swear to that to this day, it was never my fault. And uh, yeah, but but we fought, and uh, there, I remember one night. My, my brother, it was his birthday, he had gotten a new iPod Touch. And it was interesting because I was, I was never allowed to have an iPod Touch until I was like 15, and he's like, he's like 11, and my parents got him an iPod Touch for his birthday. And I'm not bitter about it, but I just I wanted to say that. I know they're watching, so. Um, but they bought him this iPod Touch, and, and it was the night of his birthday. And so I didn't do anything to him. Um, I may have done something to him. <laughs> But he got angry with me, and he takes his brand new iPod Touch, and he chucked it at me, like he threw it. And he he hit it against the wall, and it broke, and it fell to the floor. And I was like, bro, what are you doing? I can't believe you just did that. And so he was crying because he just broke his new iPod Touch. And he goes upstairs, and my my dad comes down, and guess who he yells at? He yells at me! Right, like, what? He's the one that threw it against the wall. And that's not even the worst part, is he took my iPod Touch away from me. He took it. And you know what he said to me? I told him, I said, Dad, it wasn't my fault. He just threw it against the the wall. He said, Nick, I don't care whose fault it was. You need to act like brothers. church, this passage is God saying, I don't care whose fault it was. Act like your siblings. Act like your family. Act like you're forgiven and on your way to heaven. Like we don't have anything to worry about. We don't have uh, we don't have hell to be concerned about. We're gonna spend forever with God in heaven with everyone that's around us, so act like their family. But here's an encouraging verse at the end. I'm almost done. Encouraging verses in verse number seven. It says, But unto everyone of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You may be on yourself right now and you're like, Man, I have not forgiven myself like I or forgiven people like I should. I've not been loving people with a humble spirit and a meek spirit. I have not been doing anything that, that that you just said tonight. Look, verse number seven says that he will give you grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Let me tell you that gift it, it's We can't fathom it. That's how big it is. So if you're here tonight and you're like, man, I I need to get something right with someone. I need to pursue unity. I need to love people better. God's going to give you the grace to do it. He's going to help you do it. And He will forgive you if you ask Him. And I guarantee others, if they're Christians and they're right with the Lord, they will forgive you too. So this week, when, when you're finding yourself struggling to love people, remember that your job as a Christian is to love people. And if that's not enough, remember the reason to love is the unity of the church. And remember that no one from out there will come in if we're not unified. Remember that's the reason. And then if that still isn't enough, remember the motivation to love. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus loved you enough to die for you. And if he could love a filthy sinner... Who, is, who, is, who was as wicked as I was, you can love other people as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for preserving this passage for us. Father, I pray that tonight if there's one in here that needs to get something right, if there's one in here that needs to just make a decision to love people with a humble spirit, maybe someone tonight they just need to stop making their life about themselves and make it about someone else. Whatever the case is, Father, I pray that you would help them to make that decision. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to them. And I pray that they would understand that no matter what they've done, your grace is sufficient for them. No matter what, what they, they've done to either hurt someone or not forgive someone or not love someone, your grace will always really be them. Father, I love you.